0: Welcome to the April 1st edition of the Flow Track Podcast. My name is Lincoln Shrike, joined on today's episode by none other than Gordon Mack, our email, FlowTrack Podcast at gmail.com. Send in questions, concerns, Venmo accounts. We probably won't send you any money, but you know
1: it's worth a shot. Uh, Gordon, how are you doing today? Doing good. You know, another day, another year in quarantine. That's how it feels, obviously you know see all the jokes where we're it's 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 not april 1st right now it's actually march uh 32nd that's what i've been hearing you know because it just never ends
0: march has been a bit of a tough tough month april may prove to to be a similar type of a thing but hopefully uh we can look at look back at march and say this was the worst of it and uh we've learned the lessons of of social distancing and and we're we're adapting to this lifestyle and and starting to make improvements but we we shall see Gordon on today's episode we're going to talk about the newest Netflix true crime documentary i know everyone's been talking about Tiger King but they've got a new show coming out this Friday it's got a similar title Shoe King Miles Millimeters and Mischief so it's kind of got that 3ms and it's got the king in it but it's going to be talking about Nike's racing shoes, both the Vaporfly and the Alpha Fly, looking at how those shoes have gained an advantage, kind of how they came to be, how Nike first conceived of those shoes, and kind of how they've flipped the running world on on its head with the advantage they provide for road racers. So what, what's your first reaction to Nike covering this topic?
1: Well, at first I was surprised that Nike gave access to this uh, topic and that Netflix had the foresight to, you know... You know, start following this story. You know, almost like years back, all the way to 2016, when Shalane and and Amy Hastings were, excuse me, Amy Craig were, uh, Amy Craig Hastings, Amy Hastings uh, were were, yeah. uh, were were wearing like a prototype of the 2016 trials. They had footage from that. It it had like basically start, middle, and end of this entire journey. And when they sent uh, about like. What was it, three or four days ago when Netflix sent us that email? Because what they do is whenever there's a new documentary coming out, a lot of times they kind of do like a screener to all of the different um, news media outlets. And because this is a track and field related uh, um, documentary, they we got you know they sent it to uh, our CEO of Flow Sports, so we got to see it, and it was really cool. Uh, I I was more impressed that it happened, that this documentary was created than anything that happened in the story. Because as you know, Nike is super tight-lipped about everything they do. And the fact that they let, you know, cameras behind closed doors to capture all this was kind of the coolest thing. And there were so many like weird moments, things I did not know. A lot of things that kind of changed my opinion about everything. Uh, Some for the better, some for the worse. Uh, But man... It, it took you on a roller coaster ride from start, middle, and end.
0: Absolutely. And kind of go through the six part series. It, it starts in a Nike boardroom where a couple brazen footwear designers are kind of talking about what they can do to get a new advantage. It's coming off the heels of, or I guess a couple years removed from that embarrassing moment in Berlin where Elliot Kipchoge lost his insole, still won the race, but is embarrassing. Nike looking to kind of, really do a 180 with their reputation at that point so it's it's dark in the room there's a lot of cigar smoke billowing with these these designers and they come up with this idea of making a really good shoe that a lot of people are gonna buy and it's just unbelievable to see it unfold where they 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 come up with Not only are they gonna put carbon fiber in the shoe, they're gonna add foam, they're gonna make it a comfortable shoe. Ideas that really had never before been seen in the running world and for them to do this And and to see it playing on this dock, I think a lot of viewers are going to be stunned and really have an entirely new view of how Nike comes together. Uh, But not only that, we're going to go behind the scenes with Twitter users who are watching marathons and seeing how all these people are running fast in the marathon with these shoes. And they're they're doing it really unapologetically. We'll also yeah. get behind-the-scenes YouTube fo- footage of, of Elliot Kipchoge's 159.40. We can go, to, go into that more in a minute. But it's just stuff that I never thought we'd get to see the light of day. And it's just a credit to the documentarians who, who got this access and really got out uh, the, the criminal world of these shoemakers that we never thought we'd get to see.
1: Yeah, I mean we have like a full hour on this podcast, but I think we should kind of go you know, notable moment by notable moment. You, you talked about how it all started with the the shoe mishap that Kipchoge had in, it was a Berlin Marathon, right? Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, no one saw this, but they had cameras rolling on him after he crossed, the, like, like when he was, like, kind of in the tent, we're not around media. And I had never seen... You know, you we know think of Iliad, he's super happy, he's smiling, he's always, like, mm-hmm. he always has, like, that positive vibe. He was super pissed, and he was... I cursing up a storm I was I would thought Mm -hmm. like it was kind of cool I mean I was like hey he's a real person who can get upset but he was like I mean he was like screaming at the Nike rep he was like saying like I did not sign up for this you need to make changes Mm -hmm. like that's when he even said like 159 is off until he fixed this he said that and I was like wait so he knew about that I was like that made me think that 159 was in the works, like, years before Berlin, and the fact that yep. he was always trying to cancel the 159 plan because of the shoe mishap, I thought that was kind of cool, just to kind of see, like, the exposition to what actually happened, and no one knew that. No one knew that Kipchoge got pissed. No one knew that he tried to cancel the 159, you know, attempt, and all because they made a mistake with the Berlin shoe, which then caused them to create what eventually became the Vaporflies and Flies. I so thought that was
0: wild. Yeah, and I think the the quote that the money quote from that scene that Berlin scene, which it's crazy that they even had cameras there going back that far, but the money the money quote there was fix it or I'm signing with Vibrams. So we remember the Vibram 5 fingers shoes yeah. were big back then and Kipchoge uh, so mad that his insoles were, were coming out. He's going to go to a shoe that didn't even have insoles and they were the shape of feet that that's how dire this got and that's that is kind of the the backdrop to which Nike decided to conceive of this evil plot of the vapor flies and the alpha flies of course they cover him in 2017 in the in the the uh, the first sub 2 attempt uh, the breaking 2 where they're on site there and Monza we get we get interviews with some of the athletes there that were there to pace. They didn't really even know what was what was going on. Yeah, uh, it was Kevin Hart. Kevin Hart does obviously doesn't know what was going on there. Uh, we get we get access with him. It's just really just in the same way with Tiger King where there's just character after character after character. This is the case for, for this this doc, uh, Shoe King, Miles Millimeters, and Mischief.
1: Yeah, it was funny seeing Kevin Hart and Kachogee kind of going back and forth with each other. During that entire uh, Breaking Two event, um, I was surprised how uh, like I I was surprised like how funny Kachogi was when he's kind of surrounded by another comedian. You think he's kind of like you know quiet to himself, but he kind of like opened up, kind of had some good you know some good like one liners back at uh, Kevin Hart, kind of putting him in his place. Obviously, he did, like, the short man jokes and stuff like that. But the little dynamic between Hart and Kipchoge kind of reminded me of, like, the Kevin Hart, The Rock kind of dynamic that you see, like, in Jumanji and other people, like, buddy cop movies. I, I was thinking, like, mm-hmm. hey, man, if, like, Kipchoge, once he's done, when he's retired, he could look towards a career in, you know, c- comedic filmmaking with someone like Kevin Hart because their yeah. chemistry was, like – off the charts just in the you know 15 minutes during that documentary that we saw
0: yeah I th- this if if there's one thing about this doc that people maybe didn't foresee was the the personality kip choge has he really he really lets loose uh you know one thing we find out is he's got a giant back tat which i don't think a lot of people knew about him it is kind of like uh you know that 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 runner, uh, who's that 400 meter indoor runner, the guy with the giant dragon tattoo. That's similar to what Kipchoge has on his back. So there's a lot of there's there's footage there that we wouldn't have seen. But but as far as the the shoes go, um, we go to Beaverton and we see them kind of blending the foam, the the carbon fiber they're conceiving of it. And there's sort of a scene where it's it's terrifying because. Phil Knight's in there and he kind of has that evil laugh of when he realizes that <laughs> his employees have made a shoe that's just going to sell and sell and sell and really drum up controversy in the gigantic world that is track and field. Uh, it, it, it's rare that we get to see such raw evil and, and seeing that with Phil Knight, a guy who's worth billions and billions of dollars and knowing – he's just seeing him get so excited uh about about something that's about to really throw a wrench in the running world was uh, to me unexpected. And that that kind of you know to see power like that and and seeing it wielded without any checks and balances, it really is a, a good model for how the rich control things in this world.
1: Yeah, and when later that night when Knight had that like that completion party was like, Hey, we, we, we finally got this shoe, mm-hmm. the like celebrity draw that Phil Knight brought to his house for that, that like dinner party. Mm-hmm. It was like, it was like only like a two minute segment in the series, but like, I mean, yeah. all like the great former Nike athletes, you know, and he had a lot of these, like people who you would think would be like, you know, guests as like workers, right? Like Ash and Eaton was around yeah. serving all the cocktails, and I was like, is yeah. that what he does? I thought, you know, he's a great athlete, but now he's a butler for Phil Knight. You know, Carl Lewis was the one driving the car to pick up the – drop the people off in a – you know, was doing the valet parking. I was surprised that Phil mm-hmm. Knight has the ability to get these former, you know, elite Nike athletes to be like houseworkers in his mansion. I thought that was crazy. Like we don't know that, but now we have cameras of it. It's a, it's a, it's crazy.
0: Yeah, What? who was the celebrity – for you that you were kind of most um, not excited to see, but surprised to see in that, in that clip? I mean, Guy Fieri, for sure.
1: I mean, he, yeah. The fact that he like was there, you know, at like, he was like, you know one. He wasn't the head cook. He wasn't even the head cook. He was just there as like the celebrity cook on the side who would just like eat it and like talk really loud and make people laugh. But I thought Guy Fieri What's yeah. kind of the most impressive celebrity that phil knight had on his uh bankroll in my opinion
0: yeah i mean tom cruise being there that was obviously surprising he yeah. was wearing the alpha flies and kept kind of going on about how it made him sick over six foot which was a big deal for him he was loving the shoes ellen degeneres of course was there uh she was a big guest to be there i mean a a just a blowout party. It was almost like the, the Playboy Mansion, basically, is yeah, what that, that
1: party resembled. I mean they even had basically I think almost every living president except for Donald Trump. I mean Obama was there, Bush was there, Carter was there. Like, I was like, whoa, man, this is like night's guys' connections. So I was surprised. He he did
0: Yes, yes,
1: absolutely.
0: And several memorable moments. Ping pong tournament between jimmy carter and you know it's kind of democrats versus republicans so it gets a little political in there it was it was cool and it was
1: kind of nice Harding, because they were like you know they were it was like friendly battles like they didn't hate each other they were like Mm -hmm. you know i was surprised i mean carter wasn't good let's be he's too old to be good at ping pong but the Mm -hmm. you know the obama donald rumsfeld back and forth that was that was fun to watch I I I I enjoy that. I one little thing. I'm not sure if you Anyways. saw this. There was a little clip where they showed yeah. like, like you know, a lot of like, kid, like a lot of these athletes, like kids, like you know, six year olds and younger. Yeah. And if you look at their feet, they had, I think, like toddler shoe Vaporfly prototypes on. And I was like, mm-hmm.
0: yeah,
1: dude, Phil Knight's already one step ahead. He's not just thinking about Vaporflies and Alphaflies. He's thinking about trying to get those toddler sized shoes. Vaporflies, so then all these kids can freaking dominate on the playground. I was like, he's 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 thinking for year twenty forty five oh, yeah. twenty fifty by outfitting all these yep. toddlers with baby vaporflies, and they call them baby flies. I, I, well, I it's like baby, baby perfect, perfect. perfect. <laughs> That's perfect.
0: It really was. It it was it was one of the one of the better scenes, and it was kind of you know, Knight, I I wasn't really familiar with his demeanor, but he kind of in this party takes on a great Gatsby type of a role. He's kind of separate from everyone. And there's a scene with him in the camera and it's just kind of his shadow. And he's looking down on the baby flies and he's just going, there's 4%. There's 4%. There's 4%. There's 4%. So all these kids that probably shouldn't have been at this party, you know, it's getting a little late, but they're wearing, they're wearing the shoes, which at that time were just prototypes about to be released. And he's just, you know, four percent advantage four percent advantage four percent advantage it was it was startling to see that uh that that level of confidence with with you know young children
1: yeah uh so yeah i mean basically most of the first episode was you know the Kachogi breakdown when he threatened you know to leave nike over to mishap uh like nike kind of coming together saying we need to fix this problem um and they had like the boardroom meetings like you mentioned, We had the party and then I think what really like kind of set up the next uh, episode was when they saw um, when, they, when, when they saw like the final, like you saw like the final shoe get unveiled and like you just see like, they kind of made it, I mean they got a little dramatic. they made it kind of feel like a Marvel movie, I felt you know, like an Iron Man, like they kind of set it up like they were revealing like the new Iron Man suit, um, but it was just a mm-hmm. shoe, which I thought was kind of funny. Um, but when they yeah. fade to black and then all of a sudden you just hear the sound of, you know, the commentary of the 2016 Olympic trials, and you're like, mm-hmm. oh, that's, that's what this was for. That's when they kind of start sneaking in this Vaporfly, fly prototype into the real world. And that's when it kind of transitions to the 2016 Olympic marathon trials.
0: Right. And that's when they first started dropping, kind of handing out some of those false blueprints that we finally saw a couple weeks, months before World Athletics came out with their rules regarding the shoes, their bluep- blueprints of the Alpha Flies, I know this is much later than the Olympic trials, but blueprints of the Alpha Flies with those three carbon plates, and everyone thought, oh, it's 50 millimeters of stack height, and it's it's uh, got three carbon plates, but that ends up not being true, and in fact, it was a misdirection campaign by Nike to make people think that they were making it an illegal shoe when in reality they in the entire time were working with world athletics, uh, giving them, we're in cahoots with them, you know, giving them updates and and telling them what they wanted the rules to be as far as stack height and as far as carbon plate. Yeah. World athletics was encouraging them. Sebastian Coe, on those emails saying, you know, go ahead and tell the leak to the public that, there's going to be multiple plates and the shoes going to be banned when in reality they knew the whole time. So it really shows you the conspiracy that goes all the way to the top of, of track and field. I I, I think the sport is fundamentally fundamentally going to be changed much in the way that it kind of changed Russian Russian uh, state sponsored doping. When Icarus came out a few years ago, this is on that level, if not even bigger uh, of a, of a um, fundamentally changing documentary.
1: Yeah, during the lighter part of this whole six part series, it did get darker and darker. You know, it was fun for all the celebrity stuff in the beginning, they kinda draw you in with that, you know, the smiles and happiness. But then once, like yeah. you said, World Athletics got involved and uh Sebco, when they they that scene, like you said, Sebco's on the phone with Phil Knight and, you know, you see a smile and they're like, Alright, what are we doing next? And then when they zoom out and like I was surprised they had cameras there with Sebco. Maybe he was filming another documentary for something else. They might have just bought that footage or mm-hmm. something. But when he zoom out and Seb Co is just like drenched in like all Nike apparel, right? Like there's mm-hmm. just like Nike logos on every single thing in his house. Like he has like a Nike coffee right. cup. He has a Nike dishwashing soap. He has Nike, you know, hand sanitizers. Hashtag coronavirus. He has Nike... You know Mayonnaise Like The Nike mayonnaise I was like Come on Like Nike You don't need to be making Nike mayonnaise You just need to be making You know Shoes and apparel But Zeb is such In bed with them That he has to I mean Right Every single day He makes a sandwich Sponsored by Nike He can't say no To whatever their demands are That's That's what I got out of it You know He mean He has I, I mean I wouldn't be surprised If he has like Nike tattoos Somewhere that you can't see that's if I had a guess yeah.
0: well, his house, his entire home in Monaco, which is just one of multiple homes, is actually in this the shape of a swoosh, which is kind of cool, which it is it is you know an architectural feat for sure, but it it makes it a little tricky when he's you know just going around the house he's got to slide down and you know getting to the top of the 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 pivot up there the the kind of the swoosh. Is difficult. And it's frustrating for his family members, and it actually, you know, violates HOA rules yes. in Monaco as yeah. well. But he's Sebco is definitely committed to this, and obviously he's very compromised. I'm not sure how he can really go back to trying to be somebody who's unbiased as the, you know, the head of World Athletics. I feel like Lemine DIAK. You know, we got to drag him out of a uh, French prison and kind of put him back on top because we need to return some normalcy to track and field. We need to return some integrity. And I think it only makes sense based on what we saw from the documentary that the that the DX, you know, warts and all return back to the top of World Athletics because this is a guy in Sebco who is... I mean, I think he would do anything for Nike. I, I, I don't see we're talking about putting nike mayonnaise on his sandwich like exactly and it's this is a guy who who can't be committed to other aspects of the sport he always puts nike first it's a bad look for him like i said i think the dx need to come back in power for world athletics
1: i mean but the dx though they got that one footage where they kind of did like an interview over the phone with him in prison and uh he he said like this isn't anything new, man. Like, this has been happening since the pre-Fontaine days. Like, yeah. since the Waffle Iron. You know, yeah. like, hey, mm-hmm. man, like, wake up. This is reality. Like, no one just knows until yeah. this documentary got shown, which I'm still surprised that Nike let them film this. I do think that most likely they probably lied to Nike about what they actually were filming. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, once it's come out, I think Nike's going to have a statement and kind of say, like, we were lied to we they th- they told us we were filming us for this reason we thought it was a Serena Williams commercial turns out it's this giant Netflix documentary you know so they're going to have an answer for when this comes out this Friday but for us track nerds who got to see it early man uh we thought Tiger King was crazy i mean it i i honestly think this is going to be bigger than that because obviously involves Nike and everyone has known someone who has worn the Nike swoosh on their body. So I just think that, uh, yeah, we're in for a world of craziness on April 3rd, two days from now.
0: Yeah, as far as ethics go, I mean, there there was a lot of hidden camera footage in this. That's true. And, you know they're going behind the scenes with the Ingebrigtsens in Norway and, you know, acting like they're just there to provide them the shoes when in reality, they're trying to see behind the scenes of how the Ingebritsens are, are, are training and the advantages that they're getting from the shoe. I felt that was a little bit unfair. Do you feel like Nike will, will be able to kind of have a cover because a lot of this was created with so-called gotcha journalism. The fact that it was hidden cameras and they didn't know what they were getting into. Do you think some people will be sympathetic to Nike knowing that, you know, a lot of the cameras were, you know, coming through off of people's, you know, foreheads, whether they were wearing Google Glass? You know, they didn't know that this footage was... They didn't they didn't consent to this footage being made. So I just wonder if Nike will be able to get some cover off that.
1: Yeah, I think they'll be able to kind of deflect and be like, you know, the good old line fake news, right? They'll probably throw one of those out there mm-hmm. um but yeah i mean the, but you mentioned the ingebritsons like that footage is gonna be a little damning for them because it kind of shows that you know there's not just three brothers there's like what six or seven and how they've been they all yeah. they all have a twin and they've been using their twins to run their prelims which i thought was like whoa they've been running every final fresh yeah. because they have an Britson clone basically who runs their prelim for them uh, and you know, the Ingabritson family just can't stop, you know, with, ha- you know, having more of these brothers out there and seeing this, these like six, eight, 10 year olds that are in the wings for to be the next trio yeah. of Ingabritsons. I was like, what's going on, man? It's almost as, as if they grew them out of a lab or something like that, because I thought it was just three brothers. But it was three brothers all having twins, and then there's another set of three coming that will be, you know, in the spotlight seven years from now. I was just like, "What's going on, yeah. man? They're just like a, a corporation, yeah. not a family."
0: The twins thing was surprising, but I mean, what a genius plot! It, I mean, it makes sense. obviously, you still you still have to be fit. You have to be a good runner, but to to send out your twin to run the prelim and the semis, if you're running the 1500, uh, obviously it helps explain how Jacob at, you know, Jacob at such a young age has gotten good. He's only coming in and running finals because it turns out that his twin brother would say, you know, unnamed, they don't even name him. That's how yeah. serious they are about these people. They, they, they're they just kind of, uh, and, and you really feel sad for those brothers who haven't got the attention they deserve. I mean, these are still solid runners. These are still 335, 1310, 5,000-meter 5, uh, 5, runners, but they only get to run prelims. And, uh, yeah, that's that's the advantage of the hidden camera there. Uh, you, you you know, there it would seem the Ingebritsons are going to tumble down. That was kind of like a side plot, kind of like the Doc Antle and Tiger King, where it's like didn't really have any major impact on the story as a whole, but just you get another example of, the dirtiness of of track and
1: field. Yeah. It's wild. Uh, So obviously the entire architecture of this show is based around the shoe, but it's only really a story because of the controversy behind it. And I was really, I was really impressed the way the filmmakers were able to capture that controversy. Um, And you could, like you could see that it really is on the forefront of Phil Knight's mind the controversy. He kind of likes it in a weird way. He kind of leans into it um, seeing uh, the that you know it was like some weird room in their headquarters where there's like all these like yep. computer screens, right? And they all had Tweetdeck open and all these Twitter feeds and they're all categorized by different types of outrage around the Vaporflies yep. and then he had like what was it like 15 like employees who would just sit around and they would, you know, troll back. They would, like, kind of do yep. like a misinformation campaign where they would be pro Nike yep. and anti Nike and they go back and forth and they create this crazy, you know, controversy that then regular publics like me, you, and insert random Instagram uh, influencer here get involved with. But the whole operation of the Twitter sphere I thought was fascinating. That that
0: was incredible, and not something I I didn't realize how deep this ran, and it kind of reminded me, you know, hate to bring this up as a Sixers fan that you, you know that you are, but the, kind of the Brian Colangelo yeah. drama of a couple years ago. That's what I thought. When about. his wife was using a burner account, but this was on a scale much much larger. We know there's been a lot of Twitter users that have been critical of the shoes and we think that that's kind of small beans. I mean, that's just a few angry track fans and that, that doesn't represent a lot of the population. But Nike saw those people who were critical online as a serious threat enough to where they employed, you know, hundreds of, you know, social media mavens to get in there and defend it and to kind of present false information to them and and, and to try to convince these people and, and that the shoes were, were, ethical and that they were not cheater flies as so many people had said but going inside that room and having phil knight do that and you know seeing how a guy who is rich as him and and, you know who's seemingly you would think wouldn't have his hands in the day-to-day but how seeing how he conceived of this 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 social media defense campaign uh Fascinating stuff. Fascinating stuff. He even got online for a little bit. He just showed like, here, I'll just create a few fake Twitter accounts, you know, and half of them didn't even have have avatars. He's just in there just hacking away and, 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 you know,
1: defending these shoes. I really liked uh, his Instagram that he made called Philly Night, which was just a bunch of pictures of nighttime sceneries in Philadelphia. And so it's his name, Phil Mm -hmm. Knight, but he called it Philly Night. And so, yeah. you know, I thought he, he did a lot of, you know, puns on his names for uh, his Instagrams and Twitters and Facebook accounts. I thought that was very interesting. But like you said, like it was about defending them, but they also did some mm-hmm. like weird like offense because you need to have, I mean, there's also a business side of this and the controversy sells yep. shoes, right? And so I was surprised yes. about the number of under the table cash transactions that Nike gave to other elite runners to kind of shit on the shoe, right? I was surprised at that, that, like, mm. this, is, this goes beyond just a Nike circle. They were trying to pay on the table some, like, top elite athletes to shit on the shoe so then they could defend themselves, which then makes more clicks and more, you know, more sales. Uh, I really wish that they yeah. would show who these people were but i think legally they weren't yeah. able to so they had a lot of like but they had video of it they said to like blur the face so and it was both men and women they were they were on both sides so i was surprised i feel like i could figure out who some of these non nike athletes were that were paid to yeah. shit on nike cuz you know the blurring job was a little sketchy and i think once this series yeah. comes out people are going to still frame those blurred photos to see which athletes were kind of taking nike money under the table
0: Well, fan theories, it's going to be a fun, fun type of a thing. But yeah, you never, you never would have thought like athletes bad mouthing it. They were actually in the back pocket of Nike, right? You would have thought, oh, all these athletes that that are condemning the shoe, they're obviously against it. No, it turns out, and it makes sense in hindsight, you know, it's like they have this eagerness to talk about how bad for the sport the shoe is. And we're like, we get it, but like, just run the race at a certain point. But no, they're like you know, getting hundreds of thousands of dollars just to get out there and say, this shoe is so unfair and gives you such an unfair advantage, which, you know, you do think about it and you're like, if you're a viewer at home or you're just like a hobby jogger and you're like, wait, this athlete for another brand is saying how good this shoe is. Of course you're going to want to buy that. And that, when that hit me and when we saw that scene, it's like, well, duh, that, that Nike was paying those athletes to say that. And it makes sense. Because everyone, yeah. oh, right, sorry. right, 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 right.
1: Well, I was no, thinking. No, I mean,
0: but, it, it, it totally makes sense.
1: Well, like they had scripts, right? They had like the, like mm. some, they, Netflix had like, you know, it was doing an investigation and they showed like that there was scripts sent to all these athletes with keywords, key buzzwords to use, like unfair advantage, like uh, I'm competing against more than just an athlete, you know, all these different things. I was like, man, they had it all down to a T of how to kind of like – You talk about a marketing campaign? Now this is a marketing campaign when you're paying athletes under the table to shit on your product, which then as a result does reverse psychology and then sells more product. I was – Yeah. Dude, did – you you were in the series, weren't you? Because I mean I thought – the tweet that you sent when you were the tweeting the the vapor fly room at the Olympic trials,
0: mm-hmm. they, they
1: they were filming yeah. then and you were in it. You they were, were Kevin. filming that. Yeah, Talk they about were that. filming.
0: Yeah, I mean, well, I, I knew when Kevin and I went down there during the Olympic trials that we probably weren't going to be a, a allowed to be in there. And you know, on our video, my video, the uh, inside the or you know uh, this week in Olympic marathon trials talk about how we went down to the room at the Georgia Convention Center, and we kind of greeted by a seemingly uh, like unknowing security guard. Didn't really seem like she had a clue. We were like, hey, what's in there? And she's like, I don't know, but you can't go in there. And I took a photo and she said, you can't take a photo and, and leave. And then a guy showed up. Well, it turns out we were being filmed the whole time and that was actually a Nike employee, a Nike executive sitting in that chair. She was in disguise, but she, she knew all along and she was, she had some facial recognition technology going on, you know, with her phone and she was recording secretly and, and was taking stock of who was trying to get into the room. So they got, they, you know, they got all my data they they came to my door several weeks later. You know They were kind of intimidating me at my house did and trying to keep me quiet from, from what I saw. So Did they yeah.
1: force you to sign a release like for,
0: to Netflix to, so they could use that footage? You know, they didn't, which is kind of why I'm considering litigation. I, I didn't mm-hmm. know I was gonna be on camera. I didn't know, I didn't consent to, to being on there. I just don't know. You know, kind of like in Tiger King, where people are scared to go up against Carol Baskin and her money and her influence and what she could do to people legally. I'm scared, obviously, to go up against Nike. Like, even if I think what they did was illegal, like, do I really want to to put myself in that type of position? I mean, I don't have that type of, I don't have those type of resources to to go up against Nike and their their team of lawyers. Anyways, that's kind of beside the point. I was I was talking about. You know, cameos like I'm in the series, Ellen Generous, Guy Fieri. Episode four, though, it starts out with, I guess, someone... It's not overly surprising to see in the series, but given how secretive this person is, starting at Jerry Schumacher's house for episode four, Like, what did you think of that and kind of help the viewers go through that scene? And
1: what, what was your reaction to that? Well, the first, like, what, 10 to 20 minutes of that entire episode... It's like a Jerry Schumacher show, right? It's kind of weird. They mm-hmm. kind of go off off topic in a weird way. You think it's like yeah. he's like you could tell the producers was trying to get him to talk about the vapor flies and off flies and all this stuff, but he just wants to yeah. dive deep into his training and like kind of just say yeah. hey, like just like talk about all the secrets of how he does, how he's able to you know have all these top elite athletes, what they do on their off days, on their on days, and you got to see like. I mean, it was in a twenty-minute period, but you got to see like a full week's worth of workouts that the Bowerman Track Club were doing, and it was super unfiltered. He was just like giving his hot takes on what he thought of NOP, his hot takes what he thinks on all the other coaches. Um, he they showed a list of all the college kids he's currently eyeing for to sign in twenty twenty one. I was like, yeah. dang man, like all of this stuff. All this, like, cool content that track geeks would love, is all in the series. And I was like, man, Schumacher really opened his doors. For someone who doesn't do interviews, he, like, gave away all of his secrets. He gave, like, away his 20 years of secrets in just that 20-minute segment. And I think there is going to be a spinoff where it's just going to be, like, a vlog-style Netflix series featuring Jerry and uh, the Bowerman Track Club. And I can't wait to watch that. So that's going to be cool. I'm...
0: The thing that I can't believe I was blinded to for so long was that really one of the the primary designer of the whole scheme of all the shoes was Jerry Schumacher himself, which, I mean, makes sense. Look at the guy's last name. It's Schumacher, which is Shoemaker, you know? Like, how did we not see that? that? Did we really were were we so dumb to think that that was that guy's real last name and he he was you know not trying to just hide behind the scenes as a coach of of this of this famous track team no this guy in reality that was all a cover for him being the coach yeah. of the Bowerman track club so that he had access to to be on Nike's campus and to be in the lab making these shoes that he knew were going to give his athletes and other Nike athletes across the world this advantage. People were gonna complain about that advantage and he was gonna profit big time along with Nike overall. But the guy really not not so much of, of a coach, more so a kind of this evil designer that was able to do this for so long by having this sham career that everyone bought into. Everyone said, you know, Jerry Schumacher's this great coach and, oh, you know, part of the thing is he doesn't talk to the media. You know, he doesn't talk. Well, the he doesn't talk to the media because he doesn't know anything about coaching. The guy is a shoe genius, and that's what was revealed. I just can't believe we didn't see that all along. The guy's name is Schumacher. Like, I, how how how
1: did we miss this? I, I, mean, I would disagree with you a little bit. I do think because he spent his entire life designing shoes, he knows a little bit about running, and... Yes, Mm -hmm. he he is using, you know, running for dummies as like kind of a a side check for his workouts that he writes for Shelby Houlihan and central them. But at the same time, he does add a little bit of his own flavor. So we can't take away any, all the credit from him. But when you talk about the shoemaker thing, it was kind of cool when they did the whole like tradition, like the family tree of shoemakers. And they kind of showed like Mm -hmm. the old school photos of like how this has been, uh, you know, in multiple generations of shoemaking and like kind of started with. He has the sentence all the way down to like the first shoe that was designed in like the was it like 1400s or something like that? I don't remember the year. I could be off by a couple of years. Yeah, something
0: like that. 15th century. Yeah, 15th century.
1: Uh, And like you see like family after family kind of passing it down of like designing the shoes. Uh, I mean people don't realize this but like it was a Schumacher uh, uh, cousin who actually, you know, sold the waffle iron to Phil Knight. Like, that's what's crazy. It, mm-hmm. it, it all started with them. And it's kind of cool, like, looking in their house now, there's, like, shoe drawings and crayon by all these kids on the on the uh, refrigerator. But yeah, I mean, I think you're being a little harsh saying he's not involved in the coaching as much. I still think he is a little bit. You should give him a little bit of credit. But sure. you're right in saying that his main job is the shoemaking, and it, you know, and all because he's kind of born into it. It's like royalty, right? You just, like, you ha- if you're a shoemaker, you got to make shoes. Like, that's just what you got to do. Absolutely.
0: And uh, he comes out looking pretty good off of this whole series. Not only is he, you know, still the coach of Bowerman Track Club and – he's still a shoe designer because again these shoes are legal like it this doesn't cast nike in a good light but it shows how deep this conspiracy ran and and ultimately like you know the government has no jurisdiction on nike their company and when when the governing body of world athletics says these shoes are legal like they're they're going to be legal it's just i think one of the the things about this is it looks like all other running shoe companies are going to be bankrupted off this. You know, there's not going to be any more Hoka, Adidas. You know, everyone sees that these shoes are, you, you finally see it laid bare. Like these shoes provide a gigantic advantage, an unfair advantage, but an advantage that's very real. So I think we're, you know, we're not, we're going to soon see no more Hoka, no more Adidas, no more Saucony, no more Asics, all these brands are are gonna go away and Nike the monopoly it looked like they were gonna have for so long well it's finally coming and it's a result of these all powerful shoes so uh wow the sport's gonna be changed forever after everyone sees this this documentary and it's gonna be weird when the only running shoe
1: available is Nike yeah yeah and it's like I don't know it's kinda sad right you know because like you know you, mm-hmm. you like the uh, you know you like where the sport has been going for the you know hundreds of years it's been, and then now here like on April first of twenty twenty we it's pretty much all coming apart, which is kind of crazy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean. So I mentioned at the. Oh God. Oh sorry. What do you say? Well, I mentioned at the top. There's a scene. Where they go through the footage of Elliot Kipchoge's one fifty nine forty marathon, and it there's some serious enhanced footage that, and it's kind of the the one of the lingering questions off of the show because we you know we see the process how the shoes are made, but there is serious evidence that Kipchoge's Alpha Fly that he wore also contained an engine, a motor, yes, in it, and like it, like it's, a m- it's of course n- not proven, but it
1: really does look like there there's an engine inside. Shoes. yeah they're called micro motors and they kind of did a whole little mm-hmm. scene with this startup in silicon valley where they're designing these micro motors for like different uses and a lot of it's for you know kitchen appliances and like like little trinkets that you know people use in day-to-day life like you know a micro motor right. in you know a watch or something like that uh but To put the micro for them to for Nike to buy that startup, and then tell them stop what you're doing, only make micro motors for shoe heels. That's when I was like, wow, they have the money. I mean, what did they sell for? Like, one point eight billion dollars, and for for a micro motor, I was like, damn, Nike's got the the cash. Yeah,
0: Yeah, they 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 paid cash for that that obviously was was an easy transaction for them but a lot of people you know have talked about the carbon fiber plate It's the micromotors being man mechanical doping yeah it really it is it's the micromotors that makes all the difference and i know the alpha fly was just starting to get released before you know the world was put on pause by this pandemic but when we do return to to racing um the micromotors are certainly going to take over. And, you know, Nike owns that technology. They've patented that technology. And I, I just don't see how any brand could catch up. I mean, we mentioned that they bankrupted all of them, but you assume some ambitious people will try to counter, will try to come back from this, create new brands. But when you have the micromotor technology and you have control and no other brand can really put that in I I don't how is anyone expected to catch up and I'm curious Gordon off of this you know watching this as somebody a third party somebody who's not involved in this at all like will you be wearing Nike shoes going forward?
1: I mean I kind of have to right? Because you saw the writings on the wall they're going to pull all non-Nike shoes from every running store like they're just like mm-hmm. Foot Locker is just gonna be called Nike Locker. Like, you know, mm-hmm. all these local running chains, like these local running, not running chain, running stores, they're just gonna be stocked with Nike. So the only shoes I can wear that are not Nike are the ones I currently own and they've already have kind of wear and tear on them, right? So eventually, like the old dollar bills, they're just gonna be run out of circulation because they're all gonna just be. I mean, if you currently sure. have a non Nike shoe, that's brand new don't wear it because that's gonna be a collector's item like five years from now so um fortunately i don't have any brand new uh non-nike shoes uh but if i did those things are gonna be like the sell like the value of like the pokemon era from like the early 2000s like that's what's gonna be like you're like if you have like a 220 a 2020 edition of the hoka of a hoka or a 2020 edition of an adidas that's like having a holographic charizard right now because those things are going to be rare five years from now
0: yeah to kind of to put a bow on all this so many characters you know a lot of cameos as we mentioned i I just want to ask you who do you think comes out looking the best from the series and who comes out looking the worst of all the people that appeared on the on the doc
1: Good. I mean, it's that's a hard question, right? Because there's a lot of layers to that. There's mm-hmm. two there's the best and the worst layer. So, for me to kind of pick two, things, two layers, yeah. that's a lot of layers to go through. Um, but mm-hmm. I think who comes out the worst? I mean, I think you'd have to say, you know, Seb, Sebco's brother. Because he was...
0: Oh, Alistair, Alistair Co.?
1: Yeah. Because, like, he... Yeah. He... <laughs> he kind of took it too far with the Nike thing, right? I mean, he... Mm-hmm. He... Obviously lived in a Nike-only house. He had all the Nike tattoos. But he was kind of, like... Weird. Like, he, he only... He only talked about Nike. And it was kind of like... It's, he mm-hmm. probably could only go one sentence without saying the word Nike... I mean he changed his name to Nike Nike uh he changed everything yeah. so it's just like kind of weird and yeah. I kind of feel sorry for him like I feel like he's kind of just gonna just turn into a Nike like I I think that's what you know he's just gonna turn into a giant Nike swoosh one yeah. day you know it, that's why I think, think Sepco's brother who now is named Nike Nike uh I think he is looks the worst because he kind of just literally turned himself into Nike
0: And I I ended up feeling sympathy for Nike Nike just as a guy that's been caught up into it. You know, he was always kind of living in the shadow of his brother when, when, when Seb was running all those fast times back in the 80s. And the guy just wanted to be in this elite world. So when the opportunity came for him to really dedicate himself wholly to Nike, when these shoes were coming out, he jumped at that chance. But... Now, like an addict, he's he he cannot, he, you know, shake himself from yeah. Nike. The guy is, it's is, like a drug, man.
1: It's it's, like it's, drug. it's
0: it's like a drug. I mean, the the swoosh is is something that that Nike Nike is is not going to be able to give up. And I I don't know if the resources are going to be there for for him to enter a rehab facility. Just given you know how. In, how closely associated he is with the brand. I I just, I just don't know if he's going to be able to survive coming off of this. You know, Seb's busy with his day to day and can't necessarily provide him with the, with the sport. So yeah, you do feel sympathy for him. I I just was going to keep going with my question. I mean, who do you think comes out looking the best? Who do you think comes out looking the best? (sighs) That, I mean, I, I think Phil Knight, I mean, in, in this Really? He looks pretty pretty good. Yeah, I mean, you certainly everyone has has their issues in this show, but I I think, you know, Phil Knight is clearly a guy who just wants to grow his company and everyone else is guilty by association, of course. But yeah, I I I think someone f- for him who's just trying to live this capitalist dream and destroy all these other brands y- you you f- you feel for him i mean this is a guy who's lived in the shadow of bill gates a guy who's lived in the shadow of elon musk for too long and you realize that the, when you see the scenes you know of him as as a young billionaire kind of getting bullied by those guys and you know seeing like hey them sending him, you know, the the Gates sending him and Zuckerberg sending him, like, hateful emails, like, you only have four summer homes, and and really seeing the pain on Knight's face and seeing that this was his play to get up with the Super Billionaires Club and not just be, like, a guy that's worth, like, 50, you know, no, no, he was only worth, like, 10 billion before this, but this puts him up into that 50 billion bracket with Zuckerberg, with Gates, with Musk, and and finally, getting to like, you know, push back on them for, for being such such yeah. snarky guys for so long, you feel good that this 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 shoe and these shoes have allowed him to kind of uh, return Man. the favor to his bullies. Yeah,
1: yeah. and it yeah. did allow him to you know build that uh, uh, that aging uh, generator where you're able to like de-age yourself. So what what age is yes. Phil Knight now? What is he like? He's 60, 70, 70? Well, he's in his eighties. He's in his eighties, but that, I
0: think. But but you know, he was able to return himself to basically. You know, it's it's still in the process, but you know, he's unofficially like in his forties now. Yeah. So he was able to purchase that. That that was a twenty billion dollar purchase. The anti-ager, the aging reverser. Um, so we're gonna so have like another like
1: fifty f- years of Phil Knight.
0: Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's the fruits of his labor here, helping to bring about this shoe. And now he's going to finally afford the things that only the super rich have been able to get access to before. So finally, Phil Knight, he's not just kind of rich, he's super rich. And that's all thankful, thanks to this series of shoes the Vaporfly and the Alphafly. Yeah. Who would have thought? Who would man, have thought?
1: What a series, man. I can't wait till this comes out. Uh, yeah, yeah. This is kind of gonna put the world on uh, spit. What's world world on its heels? <laughs> heels, right there. On, on, on the yeah, heels. There of you go. The uh, shoot. Little <laughs> pun there. Uh, but yeah, but yeah. I, I what, what what rating do you give it? What's the review? Uh, f- how how many stars out of a five star system?
0: Yeah, I I give it four. I think they spent a little bit t- too much time on. Maybe storylines that weren't necessarily
1: pushing the plot along, you yeah, know, that we, like, we'd mention. There was like that 30-minute scene where they were just playing Candyland. I was like, this has nothing to do with anything. And it was like, no, Phil Knight right. plays Candyland with, you know, with The Rock and also, you know, Elon Musk for some reason. I don't know. But, yeah, the Candyland scene I, again. Was it's I agree. It, yeah.
0: It, it's entertaining to see these celebrities like living their day to day lives, but there was a lot of scenes. This is why I give it a four out of five. That just didn't, you know, didn't make a whole lot of sense. We, we we went into behind the scenes of the Peloton commercial, the famous one, yes, where the guy gives the wife the Peloton, and that didn't necessarily make any sense. I mean, it did. Uh, when you've also found out that that was ultimately another scheme by Nike, but we weren't told that until the end. So we're like, why am I seeing behind the scenes of this incredibly misogynistic Peloton commercial? A lot of things like that, that were just confusing and things were coming in all over the place. It kind of seems like they just took all their footage and just put it into a timeline and slapped some music under it. Yeah. Um, but intriguing, intriguing nonetheless. And uh I, I think viewers are going to be fascinated. I give it a four out of five and it's it's a it's a must must watch and i think you're going to be coming back to it over and over and over again um because there's just so many details that you can miss upon the first watch and it it just opens the cupboard behind nike and their 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 evil schemes that they employ to try to crush competitors and to make the best running shoe possible
1: yeah and i i'll give it a 4.5 out of 5 um, the reason I give that extra point 5 is cuz I really enjoyed uh when they got basically all of the um the the the, the past greats in, in track and field um who are retired now like Michael Johnson, Ashton Eaton and they had them all do that that crazy like uh YMCA routine um at a uh, Coachella which I didn't know happened but Mm-hmm. Seeing a bunch of Nike greats doing the YMCA on the Coachella stage with Kanye West, like, rapping over it and, like, yeah. kind of, you know, r- saying, like, hey, I'm going to turn all my Yeezys into Vaporflies. I thought that was kind of cool. So that's why I give it a 4.5. Yeah. So in together, 4.25 out of 5 is what we're going with.
0: Yeah, that's going to be our average. And, of course, it wasn't YMCA. It was NIKE, of course. I yes. Mean, that that, that fit naturally. And NIKE.
1: N-I-K-E. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Four, we weird scene, but so we're giving a four point two five out that's, of five. That's the exact percentage increase that the shoes make. What are the odds? Four point two five percent.
0: How fitting! Everything is coming together, and I think fans are, of the sport are going to be blown away. And you know, just like the shoes have changed people's performances, this is going to change the perception of the sport, probably forever. Yeah, incredible piece of work. I applaud the filmmakers, and so glad this got made. And so, yeah, check out the, the release on our site as we kind of discuss what's upcoming, and then obviously, you know, Fridays when this drops on Netflix,
1: it's going to be exciting. Yeah, Shoe King, Miles, Millimeters, and Mischief, only on Netflix. Uh, today's April first, so this will be debut two days film April first. So yeah, yeah, there you go. Yep, there you
0: go. All right. Well, reminder, you can email us, email the Show Flowtrack podcast at gmail.com. Uh, let's see. Is it you and Kevin tomorrow on the show? Probably. Is that right? I think we'll so. Yeah. Probably. All right. We will see everyone tomorrow. Have a good day.